Hello, and welcome to What's Next, the podcast where we explore the technology of tomorrow and what it means for us today. I'm Haley Lancaster, and I'm on the platform team at Samsung Next. Over the next several weeks, we'll be sharing interviews recorded at this year's Web Summit Conference in Lisbon, where some of the world's leading figures in business and technology gathered in early November. Each week, we'll be highlighting conversations with people behind today's most groundbreaking innovations. Up next, you'll be hearing from Alexander Zadarain, the founder of Eight Sleep, a company developing smart mattresses and sleep technology. She'll speak with Brandon Hoffman of Samsung Next about the science of sleep, what it means to be sleep fit, and how Eight Sleep is using technology to improve the habits and wellness of its users. So I'm here with Alexandra from Eight Sleep, and we're going to discuss your journey as an entrepreneur and your company. So maybe we can just start with a little bit of yourself and your company, about Eight Sleep, and, and what it does. Sure. So... I'm actually um, from Mexico. I grew up in Tijuana in the border uh, with California, and I never really thought I would be an entrepreneur. I saw my dad was actually an entrepreneur, uh, kind of like what you would call self-made, like didn't finish a school and, you know, made his own his own journey. Um, and I ended up now at Eight Sleep. It's been five years that we that we started the company, and the journey to that was a little bit. And after college, moving to to New York, where I always wanted to live. I love New York City, and that's where where we currently have the company based. And uh, meeting my now co-founder. So uh, one of them is actually my husband, um, and we've been together for a very very long time. And then our other co-founder, Max, who's our, our CTO, and uh, the company really started because Mateo, who's my co-founder and my husband and our, our CEO, has problems to sleep. And so it was out of a personal problem that he was facing. He couldn't figure out why was he struggling with sleep? Uh, when, what was he doing during the day that was causing the issues at night? Um, and so he was a little bit of like pattern recognition that he wanted to figure out. Mm. And so this was around eight years ago. He started wearing whatever was available on the market back then, Fitbit, Jabo, and some of these kind of early wearable companies that were uh, designed to track fitness and had started to track sleep. Uh, some of the apps that you could put on your phone on the bed and kind of track movement. Um, and he very quickly realized that none of those were going to give him the information he needed to understand what was wrong with his sleep. And so I saw him obviously very uh, close to, to, to him and we were living together already at the time. And I saw him struggle through that and try to figure out what was going on. And that was the aha moment. It was him realizing that there was no company innovating in the space of sleep. Um, first, for the purpose of understanding how each individual was sleeping, building devices that were really thought as something meant for for you to sleep with or sleep over mm-hmm. um, and that then we're actually taking any sort of um, action to help you sleep better. Uh, and, and that's how it started five years ago. And it's still pretty much the premise of what we do at Eight Sleep. We're a health and wellness company focused on sleep fitness. We use technology as our vehicle to help people sleep better. And we do it by understanding how every individual sleeps and then giving them the right environment that we adjust in real time to keep them asleep uh, longer and deeper um, and the right tools they need to change their habits. So being a sleep tech company, you know, just curious, I mean, starting at the highest level, I mean, what are the main benefits that you're providing to your users? So when you think about sleep, um, some of the issues that we saw getting into the, the category of sleep is that most people are used to talking about sleep in the context of illness. So you really hear in the news all the time, you should sleep more, the world is sleep deprived, is sleep apnea, insomnia, these sorts of issues. 
Um, but no one's really talking about what does it mean to be healthy with sleep, which is what we define as sleep fit. Um, and so what that means is like if you actually achieve um, sleep fitness, you're, you're healthy with your sleep, uh, you're going to unlock kind of another level of potential. Um, it's, it's proven with a lot of research what that does to you. It's an enhanced cognitive performance, anything from like reaction times for athletes, right? That they really measure that and something that really matters. Um, even esports uh, is actually a space where we see a lot of interest in improving sleep because of what it means just for the brain um, and, and the reaction times that they can, they can achieve. Um, athletic performance, mood, is improved, um, but also just even like health-wise, um, only one percent of the world's population can thrive on less than six hours of sleep. So if you're currently getting six or less hours of sleep, you're literally killing your body. Um, just your your cells cannot reproduce the same. Your your brain cells are dying. Like it is a process where you're aging yourself at a much faster speed, uh, worse than you could do with like a bad diet or no exercise. Wow. And people don't really, um, they, you don't remember that like every day. It's not something you think about like, oh, I'm losing an hour of sleep. What is it? I'm not tired. I'll be fine. Uh, it's actually much more detrimental than anything else that you could be doing, um, that may be hurting your health. And so that's why we see the importance of bringing awareness to sleep, but also doing it in a very positive way and giving people the language to talk about sleep in that very like positive environment. So for me, I'm not a person with insomnia. I've always had good sleep, but at the same time, the concept of sleep fitness pushes me to continue on that path. It reinforces the message. It keeps me wanting to like stay at my 100 sleep fitness score every single night, which in the long term is building the most positive impact for my health. So, I mean, even touching on the product itself, I mean, maybe you could explain you know, a bit exactly what the product is, how it's maybe evolved, you know, over these past few years, you said three years since it's pretty much been out there. And where do you see it going and call it the next three years? Yeah. So when we started, we, um, what Mateo, my co-founder really wanted to solve first was be able to track his sleep seamlessly. And so he thought, well, all these wearables are getting in the way. I forget to wear them. I have to charge them. They're not accurate. They're not built for sleep. And so the very first step was to put sensors on the bed. And so we developed this smart cover that has piezo sensors in it, and it could track all the things that matter to understand your sleep. Um, so that product is what we launched in 2015. We shipped it in 2016, um, and that was really successful, and it was kind of first of its kind. And what we learned when we launched that one is that there were other very important aspects of sleep that the product wasn't doing yet that people wanted. And the number one request that people wanted was for us to manage the temperature and specifically to cool down the bed. Mm. And so for three years, basically, we, we knew that we had to build that. And we went through this process of you know, R&D and obviously raising capital to be able to do that sort of development. Um, it's very complicated to be able to cool down a bed. Uh, there are some, like, accessory products that claim to do it that maybe blow air. There's nothing really like what we've built now um, because of the level of, of complexity that it entails and because it requires water. Um, so what we have done now is the product that we launched most recently um, earlier this year is the pod is the first bed that not only tracks your sleep seamlessly, it looks like just a regular mattress, but it also has in the top layer uh, uh, what we call the active grid technology. So it's this system of very thin channels through which water flows and it's like thermoregulated water exactly to the temperature that you want it to be separate for each side of the bed if you share the bed with a partner and it dynamically changes through the night so automatically as you fall asleep automatically as you get into your first phase of deep sleep and it turns off automatically as you get out of bed 
And that is exactly the curve that science shows the temperature in your environment should follow mm. in order to um, match what's going on with your own body's like metabolism. Like your temperature is changing through the night. Um, a traditional bed would just get hotter and hotter overnight. Uh, the pod is actually going in tandem with your circadian rhythm or your metabolism to make sure that you never wake up feeling too hot or too cold. Wow. And so you realized to deliver that temperature change, you couldn't just do it with the cover. I mean, you really had to build then a, so whole, then, a whole mattress, essentially. Yeah, so it was it was definitely a, a decision. I think like it wasn't just that we had to do it, but we know that... Uh, we have to control the entire experience. When we did the accessory product, and you can put it on any bed, it wouldn't match exactly every bed. Maybe some beds would be affected because you're putting a layer, right? And so some yeah. beds would get firmer, some beds would feel softer, some beds would feel hotter. And so we decided, even though it may be like a higher barrier to entry for anyone who wants to purchase it, right. that we want to own the entire experience. We want to be able to build the perfect solution. Like it needs to be all in one. The other key reason why why we did it as well is um, we our, our technology when we first launched it was very appealing to a lot of companies, public and private, that sell mattresses. And we very quickly realized after having conversations with them that they all wanted to license, they wanted to acquire it. And we're like, well, what they do is really easy. Well, we just really complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just put it all in one package and let's see what the reaction is like. So we actually brought to market at the end of 2016 the world's very first like smart mattress. Um, and it was like an experiment to see, like, would people buy this as a, as a whole thing? We build the category that now we actually own in terms of units uh, sold in, in, in the United States. Got it. And so, yeah, in terms of partners, I mean, just like you said, right, some of the either legacy mattress companies, obviously the Caspers, and you see them partner with some of the retail stores, mega retailers. Um, are you completely DTC? Do you try to, you know, go through a retail or showroom channel, especially so that people can get the experience mm. curious how you think about that you know in terms of a, a go-to-market strategy yeah so we've we've experimented in the past with some retailers some of them have been more successful than others um what we have found is that what works best in our case is working in a, having our product and environments or working with retailers that are willing to invest in telling our story and showing that our product really displaying that our product is different so if we're going to be in on Amazon.com next to $200 beds, um, it's not going to work. That doesn't really give us the real estate to show why this is different. Um, we're, we're not the cheapest bed out there. Uh, people are not buying us because of price. They're buying us because of benefits. So we're mainly direct consumer. We've opened a showroom since April in New York City where people, it's open seven days a week. They can go in there. They can experience the brand. Um, and and the product and they can buy and we just opened last week one in San Francisco actually um, so we partner there with Beta who's an amazing startup doing yeah. great things in retail and so we opened the first in their location in Hayes Valley in San Francisco um, those are two key markets for us but looking to expand and bring the opportunity for people to try before they buy in more cities have you seen that to be more successful is it on par with you know, trying to go just e-commerce or are curious you, some of your takeaways and insights? Yeah, so we obviously have a high AOV, right? Our, our bed goes for $2,500 for a queen size. So it's a considered purchase. It takes time. Mm-hmm. Um, having the opportunity to try it is relevant. We do offer a way for people to get it at home. They can try for 100 nights, but some people don't want the hassle. And so for the... 
um, great margins that we have, the type of, of you know, the, the number of beds that we need to sell in order to break even for those retail locations, it actually makes a lot of sense for it to have the larger footprint and mm. give an opportunity for people to try. It makes the funnel much more efficient. So one thing about your customer acquisition and specific to your product, um, so you'd mentioned it's about $2,500. Yes. Um, so obviously that's pretty expensive uh, for a bed. Now, some people are willing to spend two to $3,000 for a bed and maybe have for years. So likely that's the type of customer you're going after. Um, but many people probably have never spent that much. I, personally, I've never purchased or slept on a, a two or $3,000 bed. Um, so just curious, you know, how it is you're approaching that either now or thinking about that in the future, if you're wanting to have one of your beds in every home. Yeah, it's it's definitely something we think a lot about because our we are a mission driven company. Our goal is to get everyone to be sleep fit, so mm-hmm. we, we want to make sure that it's affordable. Um, so currently, it's definitely not in the most affordable. We'll probably never be the two hundred dollar bed. Uh, you can certainly buy those right now, um, but we are in in a range that is still in a pretty kind of affordable range. Um, the way that we mitigate currently that the like sticker shock is we have financing options for our members right to give them flexibility of payment so that you may not have to put on a credit card you know twenty five hundred dollars at once uh, but you can pay it monthly and that's really successful um, particularly for our demographic uh, it's just people who you know are starting up they're in like in their early to mid-30s for, for the most part and so they kind of need that sort of help to be able to to purchase that um, that product so that is that is one way that we do it. Um, the other one is we're really mindful of like not um, we're not like overcharging you for something. And the reason we, how we get um, away with those kind of economics is like keeping direct consumer. And so that's another one of the barriers that we have to go retail is that right now, you know, we're able to keep our margin. That's our margin. And so mm-hmm. we don't need to raise the prices. We need to make it more expensive. Um, challenge with retail, the current model of retail is that then that starts kind of changing a little bit of the economics and forcing a lot of brands to charge right. a little bit more. And so we see a lot of our uh, competitors, there are public companies that do smart bets now. Um, and so, you know, a lot of their pricing is, is much higher than, than what we're doing because of their model and, and the fact that they need to have footprint all around the country and that their direct consumer business is not really that strong yet. Um, and so I think for as long as we maintain that direct relationship, we'll be able to keep it more affordable. Uh, but it is a challenge for the team to say how much more affordable can we make it over time? If we want to reach mass scale, we'll probably have to start pushing it into much more kind of affordable territory over the years. Got it. So in thinking about the product and product development uh, and cycles going forward, I'm curious, I mean, how do you think about how often it should be replaced? Traditionally, a mattress is probably replaced every five to 10 years. Would this mattress need to be replaced more frequently as, as quickly as we're replacing smartphones? Because the technology, essentially the hardware mm-hmm. technology, uh, is you know being replaced and making the last one obsolete. Or would people be able to hold it for a longer period of time? And would you be able to almost provide updates to it you know, somehow or another? So just curious, how do you think about the product life cycle, really, for users? Yes, yeah, so we're definitely aware that a bed... Most people want to keep it for five to ten years. Um, and so the way that we designed the pod is for it to be what we call upgradable. So the there's the layers that are the mattress itself that you can keep for ten years. There's a ten-year warranty on it. Keep it for ten years. That's how long it should last you for. Um, but the technology is kind of zipped 
on top of it to make it fully integrated. But at the same time, it's almost like removing a cover from your smartphone. Um, so you can remove the cover and put the cover and change it with the seasons, with the colors as your, <laughs> as your you know, mood changes and you mm -hmm. want something else. Um, and so that means that every time that we release new technology, if you want that feature that comes with the hardware, with the new hardware, then you're just able to purchase that. Um, so that sort of upgrade model was really important for us that we kept that in mind. Um, and that same goes for, you know, technology may have issues, may have bugs, may need to be replaced, may need to be repaired. And so we wanted to make sure that you don't have to change your entire mattress in order to, to be able to do that sort of service. And most of the value over time comes from obviously the daily use of the bed itself and the, the features, uh, 98% of our members who sleep on the pod use the smart temperature feature every single night. So their bed automatically is regulating the temperature for them every single night. So there's a lot of stickiness with that. Um, but we release every two to three weeks new content tools insights through our digital experience, whether that is. Wow weekly and monthly email reports that are cohorting you with your peers or benchmarking you with your own personal averages and showing you how your sleep has changed or insights from your your coaching mechanism in the app that tells you, hey, the last three days we noticed that you've been sleeping an hour less every night to make up for it. Why don't you go to bed at this time tonight, right? So that sort of insight is only unlocked over time um, as we get to know you, and that's just persistent forever. You know, as your sleep goes well or goes bad, you'll get rewarded, or you'll get reminded how to get back on track. So that's where all, what, whenever you purchase the product, you'll continue to get that value, even 10 years from now. Got it. And so from a user experience standpoint, you had mentioned um, how it's able to change habits, and that seemed to be something that really surprised you. What does it require? So let's say that I, I sign up, I get the financing, so I've got now the, the fanciest, most expensive bed ever in my room. Um, but what do I have to do? Because I've tried before having the phone on the corner of the bed, yeah. and, and maybe I tried it for a little while, and then I stopped. I gave up on it. I've tried some wearables. I kind of gave up on it. You know, what, do, what, what does a user, what would I have to actually set up, or could I just go to bed and you just wake just up and, and do you do all the heavy lifting exactly that's the beauty of it what you mentioned is the, the main reason why people stop using those apps on the phone or any wearable at night is because you need to charge the wearable right if you have a smartwatch you need to charge it or the phone you need to charge it like there's all these implications um, with the pod you just need to go to bed so for as long as you have the pod you're going to bed every night we're going to be there for you and we'll send you the information that you need and we'll ping you as often as you let us ping you to tell you what you could be improving. Um, and so that's where the real like intelligence come in and the potential to affect change. Uh, the main way in which we do it is by really gamifying your sleep score is what we call a sleep fitness score. And the four main metrics that we take into account to calculate that are totally in your control. And so that's how we can affect changes by driving you to adjust those important things about your sleep hygiene from the time you spend in bed to the time you actually spend sleeping, how consistent you are with your schedule, uh, things that you can adjust are actually going to yield a higher sleep fitness score, but also much better sleep quality. There's no way that if you have a 100 sleep fitness score consistently, you don't feel amazing. So yeah, so that <clears throat> kind of leads to one of the next questions. So maybe you could even just discuss Customers, what your you know current customer type looks like, the aspirational, where you know where you're trying to go, who else you're trying to serve, as well as partners, other stakeholders, and so then a question I was going to have too, you started to already kind of touch on it, from the healthcare landscape, you know, and those in that ecosystem, right, payers, providers, anything like that, 
are they currently involved or could they potentially be as, as you think about the roadmap? Yeah, so I'll start with that uh, question. They're not involved yet. Um, we are, even though we're five years in as a company, we've had product out there of people actually using it for around three years. Okay. And so it's obviously a journey to get, uh, right now we're doing validation studies of everything that we do with the technology. So we work with Mount Sinai in New York City to do a validation mm-hmm. of the accuracy of our sleep detection compared to a polysomnograph in the clinical setting. We're working with UCSF on a study around the um, our sensors and our algorithms capabilities for detecting atrial fibrillation, which is the first of its kind that could be done with, on a bed where you don't need to wear anything. Similar studies have been done with other wearables like Apple and mm-hmm. companies like that, and Cardiogram has done it as well. Um, and so we need to kind of go through those phases in order to get into the field of our product being some sort of you know health product that maybe your insurance could eventually cover part of it or totality of it because of the benefits that it will bring to you. And, and I think it, it's definitely a direction where we, we will go because the technology has the potential to, to go there. And so that's pretty exciting. Got it. So the research would help validate and get you there, essentially. Exactly. Along yeah. the way. Yeah. That's, that's a big part. And we run a lot of research internally, um, but we also are aware that in the current landscape, like the the third-party peer-reviewed clinical setting is still what is, you know, the most valid in order for us to get that sort of approval from any healthcare provider. Got it. And so maybe current partners then and customers, maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah. And so this then, it takes me exactly to like the current customers, which is what we've noticed in the last five years since we started the company and we started researching, you know, who are the different segments that are actually interested in what we're building. We've seen a huge evolution and just maturity of the market. When we launched in 2015, our first product, we crowdfunded. It was a completely different landscape for hardware, for health tech, for anything. Um, and it was very much like the early adopter crowd, and it was much more uh, of a success with people that wanted like a smart home. But as the health and wellness market, particularly the, the, the tech space in health and wellness has matured, mm-hmm. we have kind of grown with it. And so where we are now and where we see um, most of our members be is really the what we call the high performer and the sleep enthusiast. So are people who are very aware that health and wellness is important, they're taking steps for it, they're um, using technology as a key part of staying healthy and staying fit, and they know that sleep is important, they don't necessarily know what to do about it yet. Sleep is still like this kind of obscure area of health and wellness. Um, and so eight sleep fits really nicely into their lives. There, they're, they're mostly, um, males that share their bed. So it's a pretty like even user based in terms of male, female, because they, they share their bed, but it's the male person. Like it's like they're adopting it. They're the ones that are kind of really excited about it. Interesting. And something that we think about a lot is how do we get to the other segment? How do we get to women who are adopters of, a lot of different tech tools for more like femtech purposes. Um, but, I mean, sleep is something that we all do, so we should yeah. be using the, the technology equally. No, so that's interesting. So, why, yeah, why do you think men are more interested at least or willing to try? And then on the women's side, yeah, is there, you know, just from a more of a scientific aspect, is sleep as important for both men and women in women's health and femtech? Does it and could it play... A particular role? I'm kind of curious. There. Yeah, so actually, we've seen in the data how differently men and, and women sleep. And the thing with women is that our monthly cycle really affects our sleep. Hmm. So during certain uh, times of the month, our sleep is just terrible. The temperature wow. in our bodies fluctuates much more, which is a huge factor that affects sleep. Um, and so if, if anything, 
sleep is more important for women when you really think about the potential for like personalization of what technology can do and like how sleep changes from day to day and yeah. from like times of the month. So um, I, I think that it's probably just a matter of time um, of, of like that, that curve of, of adoption. I think that there's also a lot that could be done from like the educational side, which is something we do a lot as a brand, is how do we raise awareness of what sleep fitness means? How do you achieve it? How it affects everyone? Um, how do you really make it like a personal story and not mm -hmm. just, you know, we're not just selling you a product, we're really selling you a benefit for your life. And we need to be able to translate that to that audience as well. Right. Just looking at the opportunity and, and all the traction you've had so far, what would you say has been and maybe still is either the biggest barrier, right? The biggest challenge uh, in terms of adoption, in terms of acquiring new customers? I think it's still education. We're building a new category. Mm. So mm -hmm. it's still, even though it's been a few years, it's still new. Uh, when you compare it to the larger kind of general bed market, it's still much smaller. Um, and so that's where we focus a lot of our attention in both product development. So we're doing a lot of innovation on the digital experience and all of the digital tools that you get for sleep improvement. So when you buy the pod, it's not only the like premium mattress with the temperature relating and sensing technology, you also get the eight sleep app, which is the interface to manage all your settings, but it's also the interface to look at your data, look at your trends, you get your insights, get your coaching, get access to all the tools you need to wind down and wake up. Um, and so we think like the digital experience may open a lot of opportunities to like educate the market on what, what does this even mean? What does it mean to have a smart bed and what can it do for me? Uh, that's, I think continues to be the the biggest challenge, but we we benefit from building kind of our own space and being the the leader there. And we have seen other companies kind of get into this space, and so it's only a matter of time before this really becomes a huge thing. Yeah, no, I'm sure. I mean, in terms of education, I mean, yeah, how do you how do you think that that's going to go about? I mean, obviously, very difficult. Um, I'm wonder I wonder if there's any parallels. What comes to my mind is memory foam or some of these new like bed you know innovations right over the years the only thing i can think of were maybe infomercials and commercials right or something right yeah some compelling salesman or, or rep or something yeah. you know late at night um so just curious yeah what you know what have you seen to be most effective in trying to educate um and you know what what do you think it'll take I think it takes one, proving the benefits. We're very focused when we think about our marketing and what's actually going to propel growth is um, we, we need to be able to prove that we improve sleep and we do it. Uh, so we know that 84% of our members who sleep on the pod say that the pod has improved their sleep. Uh, so that we lead with that. That is that is the only thing you need to know. Just like when people were adopting memory foam, right? They would say this is the most comfortable mm -hmm. sleep you could get, and they would show you. And so we need to put that front and center. Is again what differentiates us from anything else out there is that we're actually improving sleep. And then we also see it in like our own data. So we see people tossing and turning less, falling asleep 15% faster, getting 17% more deep sleep on average after just 30 days sleeping on the pod. Like they're able to change their regimen, sleep better. So that's what we want to lead with. Is the benefit we are giving people results and so if you want to sleep better you you want to buy this um the other side of it is word of mouth word of mouth is super popular and i think it goes hand in hand with the benefits so because mm -hmm. people are getting voted people share about it twitter is a very popular platform for us people sharing talking recommending to each other hey you should check this out when someone writes like i'm not getting good sleep there'll be like a random person saying you should check this out so uh, we'll continue to really leverage that build a great product deliver the results and then our community will be the ones advocating the strongest. Obviously, we have a very robust advertising strategy. We're on national television, we're on radio, we're on podcast, we do digital. Um, but that's just what helps bring maybe new eyeballs in. We want to make sure that the first two that I mentioned are still what are the actual anchors. 
curious now, just from running the company these past several years, what's some of the most surprising either takeaways or learnings, uh, you know, whether it's to the upside or, or the downside, but just based on your experience? Yeah, I'll talk first a little bit in, in terms of the, the product and the um, the members that use the product. I think the most surprising things have been to see how technology can make people change their habits. I think it's so amazing to see, and sometimes people will, will just tweet their experiences where they say, oh, before, there was one like three weeks ago of one of our members, and she was saying that before the pod, she would sleep five to six hours every night, and now she's consistently sleeping eight to nine. Um, and so I engaged her from my personal Twitter in a whole conversation, and it was so amazing to see that, that you can actually make people change their habits for the better. And that's what just keeps me believing in kind of what we're building, but also what so many entrepreneurs are building in the tech space and how they're going to affect health and many other aspects of human life. Um, so that's been really cool to see. I think on the entrepreneurial side, um, it never gets easier. And I think that's the part that it's, um, you know, you, you're five years in and you're like, how many more of these years can I take? I've been like, you know, in this roller coaster and it's very exciting. I think it's, um, amazing to be able to do this. And like I said, in the initial part of the conversations, like I, I come from Tijuana, I come from like a different place in the world and like, you know, I, I lived an amazing life. I was, I would consider myself privileged in, in Mexico, but, um, seeing, you know, the opportunity of like where I am now and where I'm able to experience is, is just fantastic. Uh, I would say the, the one tip that I would have for any entrepreneur is that really what you need to focus on is, uh, building a great product, but most than anything is like hiring great people. Mm. And that continues to be the challenge. I think for anyone building a business is making sure right. you can attract amazing people who are just as passionate as you are, who are smarter than you are so that your business can actually grow. Um, so that's, that's the thing we're focused on now. We're a, a smallish team for what we do and we're really looking to grow and double the size over the next year. So that's a huge ambition. So in, in your intro, you mentioned where you're from and again, even now. So I would love to even just from a personal standpoint, right? You're certainly one of the few Latina founders in the U.S. who is building a great company, is raising funds. So just curious, even from that aspect, you know, what, what has that experience been like personally for you? And do you have then advice for other Latina founders out there or aspiring entrepreneurs? Yeah. So I always talk about this very candidly because I say we are very lucky that I'm not the one raising the money. I'm not the CEO of the company. Uh, Matteo is a CEO. He's a, he's a guy. He's an Italian white guy. Um, and and I, I really think that plays a huge factor. And I'm always so empathetic to the women that have to go out there and raise the money. Um, because whenever I've tried, whenever I've tried to uh, bring on board uh, a more diverse set of investors to our own cap table, it's a huge struggle. Um, we don't, I don't think we still, we don't yet have the same kind of system of support um, or the numbers and the volume to be able to really kind of help one another. Um, and as we grow, it's even much harder to find kind of female or diverse investors at the growth stage. Um, and so I, I think I would preface with that, that we've been lucky that I'm not the one raising the money, which is just really unfortunate to have to say. Um, but I think on the other side, we something I also say a lot to the younger, even some of our interns that we get, like female interns that are going to great schools or they may be from diverse backgrounds. And I say, you know, at the end of the day, we can talk a lot about what's against us. But what's most important is that when you get to the position of power, 
you don't forget to do the work. Like now it's mm. almost like on me to do, and, and, and I really devote my time. I'm a mentor in the city program with New York City to mentor back women entrepreneurs and small business owners. Uh, I'm an investor through a friend who raised a, a fund to invest in female entrepreneurs. So I, I'm a scout for her fund, right? And so making sure that we are also taking some of our time and doing the work because otherwise uh, no one's ever going to do it if we're yeah. just kind of self-absorbed in our own level of success. Um, and so that's important that we like continue to lift each other up, uh, to reach out to people like us, because I think we're more empathetic to help one another. Um, and then once you make it to then look back and see who else you can help. Pull others up with you. No, I love that. Um, and appreciate the candor. I mean, even though it's, it's not the best answer, it's probably not the one you'd prefer to give, but you know, the the fact that that's what you've actually experienced, um, you know, is, is brutal honesty, but I think. People are, would appreciate, you know, hearing that and knowing it. And again, the fact that you're still now using your platform, right, and your position uh, to push, you know, the movement along. Yeah. So yeah, b- and and I think big applaud to you on that. Thank you, and I think it's been interesting to see um, Mateo go through fundraising because I've actually been able to learn. Or, or it, from my own perspective, see why we continue to have these sort of network effects of the same investors getting on the same deals together. Because um, at the end of the day, we've experienced that ourselves. We have amazing investors on board, and they bring other amazing investors, and a lot of times they're their friends, right? And so uh, that's something for me is a learning to think, how do we replicate that um, instead of just fighting it? How do we also do that as women, as Latinos in, in tech or in venture, um, so instead of just demonizing what the other side may be doing, let's learn from it and let's replicate it for ourselves so yeah. then we're able to help each other. No, definitely. I love that. Um, so just switching gears, I mean, it could be from the entrepreneurial side of things. It could be from fundraising and investing. could be specific to the industry and, and your product. Um, what is a controversial opinion that you strongly hold? <laughs> so we have a very... Um, controversial opinion that I certainly emphasize with <laughs> as part of our vision of the company. Um, we we actually believe that we'll get to the point where humans will be able to sleep six or less hours every night and be just as rested and healthy as if they were sleeping eight. So breaking that 1% rule that you essentially just shared with us yeah. earlier. Yeah. And so the reason for that, and we, we believe we'll be able to get there, uh, one, through research. Uh, the information that scientists have right now on sleep is actually quite limited, and it's not really representative of, like, the world's population. Mm. And the reason is just because how sleep is studied, right? You need to bring people into a clinical setting, 15 to 30 subjects at a time. It, it's not, like, the ideal way to really study sleep. So what we're doing and gathering, now we have over 51 million nights of sleep data that we've gathered. Like, it, you know, it get, kind of opens the door to really understand how people sleep. Um, one of the things, however, from the research that has been done that we know is that a lot of the time that we spend asleep during those eight hours is actually spent during light sleep. And light sleep as a phase is not necessarily the one where you're reaping the most benefits. Um, and so we think a lot about uh, the optimization of that time and how we spend it and how we could potentially through even what we're doing now with temperature regulation and other factors in your environment, get you to deep sleep much faster, keep you in deep sleep without the gaps of light sleep in between. And so that could be able to like optimize and remove a couple of hours. And the reason why we would want to do that is to one is really the, the pace of life is already going in that direction. Like that's why people don't make time to sleep because other things get in the way. Um, so we just need to be real about it. It's going to be hard to tell people like, okay, now everyone in the world needs to spend eight to nine hours on the bed. It's not going to happen. <laughs> 
Um, and so we think like rather than trying to change all of those other aspects, how do we optimize sleep to fit in perfectly? Um, and the second one is, wouldn't it be fantastic if you got like 25% of your life back like in a day and you could just do other things without the guilt and without the detrimental health uh repercussions that it has if you're actually sleep deprived yeah no that's fascinating and a bold claim i, I love that you're yeah. challenging you know the status quo out there right all, all the data yeah um so thinking about the industry just broadly of let's say wellness um healthcare as well but maybe wellness and not accounting for sleep that'll be cheating since you cover that aspect what is a, another area that you're most excited about that you're bullish on even if it were something you would never actually enter tangentially. Um, and then what's an, an area that you think is overhyped? Uh, so an area that I'm interested in and that I would definitely enter um, is anything around um, kind of senior care or what I would say like aging gracefully. I think like there's like a lot that. of companies in this space, um, but very few companies are thinking about the emotional experience of aging and what sorts of products and services and tools you need as you age to really age with dignity and with grace and happy. Um, so I think that there, there's a lot being done there in many, many aspects targeting that segment of the population. And I would, I just think about it from uh, the perspective of, I, I wouldn't want to age with the same tools and the same uh, resources as my grandma aged with, right? I want it to be different by the time I'm there. So I'm really excited to see what entrepreneurs are building in that space. Um, overhyped. Um, I mean, I really don't think that anything can truthfully be overhyped. Um, there's definitely some that take more headlines. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of companies doing ride sharing and scooter sharing and <laughs> bike sharing, but I actually think that many of them are going to be immensely successful. Hmm. It's just that maybe the way that they're getting media coverage, may, you know, may, disproportionately, they, yeah. like, disproportionate to where they are right now. Um, but there's just a lot of spaces like that. They get attention for a while and then it dies out. Um, but anything in health, I think it's, it's none of it is overhyped. There's going to be a lot of great things happening. All right. Last question. And aside from, I guess, sleep optimization, which I think is already a very interesting one, how do you see the future really being different then uh, if your technology is widely adopted? If people on a wide scale were sleeping on the pod, the eight sleep pod, um, we're going to be able, or you at an individual level, you'll be able to know ahead of time when you're getting sick. That's how, the, like, really the world's going to change. Mm. That's what really got me into joining Mateo and Max in this company. Because, uh, again, I'm a great sleeper, and I believe what we're doing in <laughs> sleep, and it's proving with, in, with results now. But uh, the health implications of the ability for the technology to predict um, and to eventually diagnose uh, is really powerful, and, and it's there. And it's a lot of the clinical validation that yeah, we're so doing. Yeah, so tease that out a little. I'm curious. How would the pod tell me yeah, I'm so going to become... Sick. Yeah, so it's all in the biometric data that we track. So when you go in bed, each side of the bed can be tracked individually, and it basically is picking up your heart rate, your respiration rate, heart rate variability. So key um, biometrics that you could actually use to see recovery levels, stress levels. You could see arrhythmias. You could see sleep apneas. Um, you can actually see when you're going to get a cold or a flu because your heart rate at rest changes 
like two to three days before you actually feel it, the wow. cold. Um, and so there's things like that, that other devices and other companies are already exploring, um, but that could be done very seamlessly in a bed. And so the bed would become the biggest health platform that if you keep that technology for 30 years, you just continue to, you know, every five years replace the technology, but it's always a sleep. You're building this immense database of your body. And so if one day something changed, if one day you were having a heart attack or you developed epilepsy, whatever it could be, um, your bed may be the first way that you find out. That's amazing. So the bed will be the biggest health platform for people in the future. Yes. That's great. I love it. All right. So thank you so much, Alexandra, for being here today and taking the time to talk with us. Sure. Thank you for the invite. It was fun. Thanks for listening to What's Next. We'll be releasing new interviews from Web Summit every week, so be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Just search for What's Next on your app of choice or go to samsungnext.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Haley Lancaster. If you have questions or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch on Twitter at Samsung Next or send us an email at podcast at samsungnext.com. <laughs>